Hi there, and welcome to our podcast, Art City Amsterdam. From Rembrandt to Dumas and from Leijsen to McQueen, Amsterdam has long been home to some of the world's most important artists. In our podcast, we will provide you a taste of art in this remarkable city. Together with our special guests, we will take you on a walk through the art scene of Amsterdam. We, your hosts, Rubia Balsam and Joost Bosland, speak to artists, curators, politicians and collectors about what they love about the city. Whether you're a longtime resident or planning your first visit, this podcast will inspire you to explore new and familiar corners of the Amsterdam art world. We're sitting here in the home of Robin and Joyce Chada. We're sitting in Robin's home office. Robin is a hotelier, philanthropist, grew up in a collecting family and has taken time out of his very busy day to sit here with us and, and talk a little bit about his collecting, but also his relationship to the city of Amsterdam. Yeah, thank you for making time yeah, for us. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Exciting. One of the things we we're curious about is that in an earlier interview, you said that you were a bit apprehensive to move back to Amsterdam as a young adult, but in the end, it felt like coming home. So how would you describe your relationship with the city? Yeah, yeah, because of course I have this, I lived in America for quite some time. So I went to school in Washington, D.C., studied there. Then I lived and worked in uh, New York City. So I worked on Wall Street there. Then I worked in the fashion industry there for Tommy Hilfiger. And then at a certain moment, I had to make a decision. Do I stay in America or do I come back? I think I must have been 23, 24 at the time. And I made a decision to come back. But I was a bit apprehensive because my life is now in America. All my friends are in America. My girlfriend's in America. What am I going to do back then, back in, back in Holland? But it was, a, it was a best decision I ever made because, of course, my roots are still here. You know, I am Dutch, after all. And I had the opportunity to move into a house on the Kaisersgracht. It was like friends. It was four guys, four girls. It was a dog and, and a cat. And was this a reality show? Yeah, it was like a, it was like a reality show. And uh, we had this communal kitchen downstairs. It was so much fun. So I think if I wouldn't have had that, it would might have been more difficult to integrate. But we had all these, you know, amazing people coming through the floor all the time. And I was, of course, living center, center, center. So that really opened my eyes also to Amsterdam. But then I really started to discover the city, actually. You know, so those first years were so much fun. So I think my relationship, yeah, I do feel like I'm an Amsterdammer, even though I don't live in Amsterdam anymore, just on the outskirts. But yeah, at heart, you know, uh, I'm an Amsterdammer and I, uh, I have an Ajax shirt in my closet as well, of course. I support the football team. So, uh. <laughs> Well, apparently Rein Wolf doesn't have an Ajax shirt because he's a Feyenoord fan. Oh, is he? That's, that's, that's... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, you say we're, we're no longer in Amsterdam, but actually if we were in London right now, we would still be in London. Exactly. We're not, yeah. It's not actually... We're right over the border. Literally, I'm 10 minutes uh, into the city center from here so and if you would describe the art scene in Amsterdam in one word vibrant can you explain why <laughs> well there's always so much happening I think art slash cultural scene in Amsterdam that's why I love the city and that's also why I love cities like New York and London there's lots happening it's really an art capital city even like Berlin of course is a lot happening as well Paris is a lot happening but Amsterdam is definitely on that list there's always exhibitions going on there's lots of art galleries lots of artists who live here a lot of the artists that we found also that are, had done commissions for us, for example, in Glasgow, Scotland, the artist we found here, he was working uh, in, the, uh, in the ateliers, Alex Dordoy. And we met him there. Me and Lisbeth went to visit him. We said, would you like to do a commission on our Glasgow property? He was so excited. So there's lots happening uh, all the time. So there's art, of course, but there's also lots happening within you know, music. I, I read an article couple of weeks ago that Holland has more music festivals than any other country in the world. They have almost, yeah. So there's lots happening with music, with art, with 
with dance and there's 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 it's such a vibrant city so i think that's what would explain my one word of vibrant yeah. <laughs> uh, just just i mean a few years ago you mentioned dance you ran one of the hippest night spots in amsterdam where you hosted guests like lenny kravitz and p diddy and you have any tips for listeners who want to explore amsterdam nightlife yeah well those were fun years that's when i ventured out into hospitality and, and decided to open up a nightclub so As yeah one does it was of course yeah but it was a lot of fun actually where it was it was the greatest time of my life which i never want to do again that's how i explain it to people and i could definitely write a book about all the tough times we had. It's not easy going into Horka in, in, uh, in any city, of course. Recently, I've been going to kind of the Soho house, the rooftop bar, but real, real nightlife. I can't give you any tips there. I'm sorry. The Soho the so house rooftop bar is a good tip. Yeah, so I think uh, that's a, probably a good tip. If you want to have a nice drink, if you know a member, go to Soho house. This is presumably a space where you spend a lot of time. What's the art in this room? Yeah. And then there's a garden gnome giving us the finger, standing on top of a David Hockney catalog. Yeah, so this has become kind of uh, synonymous with Citizen M. So it's a little gnome with the middle finger. We started using him in our styling, in our cabinets, in the hotels, and it kind of became part of our attitude, right? So we're a bit of, you know, disruptive in nature. So this is a bit of a middle finger to the rest of the hotel industry. So Citizen M, global hotel chain, also in Amsterdam based, part of its DNA. So your first property was the airport hotel here in uh, nearby, which you opened up in 2008. And now you have three hotels already in the city. And if we count it correctly, almost 20 hotels in seven other countries. And if we have to ask, this was a strange year for people, of course, in the hospitality industry. So how are you doing? Yeah, we're doing fine, actually. We've seen the pandemic a little bit as a blessing. We were a very fast-growing company. Like you said, we opened our first hotel in 2008, and we've since then grown to 21 hotels, uh, with another 22 under development at this very time. So we were growing, growing, growing at a super fast pace, but we never had a chance to really stop, reevaluate, and really think strategically, what are we doing? You know, I mean, of course we were growing, we knew what, we were, what our ambitions were, but really rethink what's going to be important for the customer going forward, what are his or her wants, something that we also did, you know, pre-2008 when we were conceptualizing Citizen M. So it allowed us to really refocus, restructure the organization, fast-track our technology, so we launched within three months, a fully contactless app. We're the first global hotel chain to do that. So everything from your reservation, to your check-in, to your room controls, to your checkout, everything via your own device, in case you didn't want to touch anything. And that works really well. I actually spent the night there on Tuesday because oh, I you thought did? I should okay, do some due diligence. <laughs> so it works incredibly yeah, yeah. well, it's and I very hate seamless. apps. Yeah, exactly, yeah. In the app, one very nice feature, since we are talking about art, is that Currently in our app, all our entire art guide is uh, featured in there. So if you're sitting in our Amsterdam Amstel property, you can go into the app, you can see exactly which artworks are hanging on the wall. Same thing if you go to New York or Paris. That. Yeah, oh, it's a nice. new feature. We just we just added it. So we're going to keep on evolving that and, and pushing more content into the app, also making Citizen relevant outside of your hotel stay. So we're doing okay. And of course, it was a difficult year business-wise, but okay, we have to always look at something positive. Out of every crisis comes something positive. Uh, we don't forget we were we were born in the global financial crisis in 2008. We survived that, so never waste a, never good waste crisis. a crisis. Correct. But thanks for asking. Um, and and you launched uh, the global passport program this year, and I was fantasizing about it as I was lying in my bed on Tuesday night. You basically can move across Citizen M hotels for about 1,500 euros a month, and live in hotels 
permanently, which is less than rent in London or New York, maybe a little bit more than rent in some other cities. How is this experiment going? Was that yeah, a wild so that idea was, uh, or does that, it work? That was a nice new product which we launched in the middle of the pandemic. We, we took a look at uh, what some of the trends were. A lot of people were moving out of the big cities, especially a lot of my friends in New York. They were going upstate. They were going you know, out into uh, to Connecticut. They wanted space. And of course, they all have a very expensive rents in these cities. We thought, yeah, if you are a global nomad, if you don't have a family and a dog and a cat and some kids running around, then you could easily live in a hotel. So let's try it. And the nice thing about Citizen M is that, of course, we own all of our property. So we could really make it global. So if you wanted to spend five days in Paris, then move 10 days to London, then five days to Amsterdam, it would be possible. So we launched it not too long ago, I think four or five months ago. And since then, we've sold over 100 of them. Have you met any of the people? We've interviewed one, also for a magazine interview. So Forbes actually interviewed this person. He was living between our Zurich and Geneva properties. He was just going up and down. He had one bag. He was a photographer, has all of his equipment with him, his laptop, his phone, three jeans, three t-shirts, three sweaters. He was really like ideal person for this, and he loves it. And he's still living there now. Which of your Amsterdam properties is your personal favorite? Hmm... It's difficult because our Schiphol property was our first. So that's always going to be my baby. We did extend it. So when we opened in 2008, it had 230 rooms. And a few years later, we extended it. So it's now 355 rooms. From an experience point of view, I do love Amstel. Citizen M. Amstel is only 10-minute walk from the Rijksakademie and Oosterpark, Park, which situated is the National Slavery Monument. and might be the best situated for people who come to Amsterdam for the art world. It's a very, it's our smallest hotel, actually it only has 89 rooms, but also has our new room type in there, which is super cozy. And of course, you're really in the heart of the city, which is different than being at the airport or, or in the Zaytas, where our other property is. And it, it's been an amazing uh, property because uh, we see a very nice mix between business, but also leisure guests coming in. It's got some fantastic art. So the exterior features art, again, from Carmen and L from Freudenthal Verhagen, who we also used on our first hotel at Schiphol. All the in-room artists, we collaborated with Foam, the photography museum. So we had different artists and we have different artworks, two artworks in every room. And there's some great uh, pieces from our collection in there as well. There's a, there's a great piece of Mark Bal, which is a portrait of our king. There's a Julian Opie. There's lots of great, uh, great artworks in the, in the lobby. And even though it's a very s small space, it's very, very cozy. Is this something you do with every location worldwide that you try to collect also the art within the, from the local artists? Around always, it? yeah. Since day one, we've always said we want to give artists a platform to display their art. So initially we said, okay, we only want to work with up and coming artists that have not been discovered yet. That very quickly changed because we said, yeah, it's also nice to work with more established artists. So since then, I think we've worked with over, we've done over 100 commissions uh, across the 21 hotels, which includes our exterior facade art, interior commissions, in-room art, ceiling art. So it's really, really quite fun. And I, I got to meet a lot of the, uh, the artists that way, of course. So how did you approach that for your collection within the Amstel? So Amstel, so, so we wanted to work again with uh, who we worked with in the past, so Carmen and Elle for the exterior. The interior, one of our curators, Floor, she used to work at Foam. So I said, yeah, it would be nice to work, of course, with an institute or with a museum uh, in Amsterdam. And we liked Foam because it's also quite contemporary. And I know, I know some of the people that work there as well. So we had several meetings with them and we, we came up with a plan of how to curate these, uh, these pieces. And then we always uh, look within our own collection to see what pieces would fit. Uh, usually we have enough pieces that we can see. We might shift some things around, pull some things from another hotel. That's a nice thing as well about owning the portfolio. You can shift artworks around. Uh, 
And in specific cases, we might buy specifically for a hotel. And when you say our collection, is that the Citizen M collection or is it the family collection? It's called the KRC use? collection. So it's actually, the, it's actually the family collection. But of course, they're quite intertwined. So usually most of the artworks that are in our hotels are coming from the KRC collection, unless we specifically buy. But of course, all the commissions are there permanently. So those are really uh, Citizen M's. And, and I read your building in Miami. Will you open in time for Art Basel in Miami Beach this year? We will. Yes, we're actually building three hotels in Miami. So we're building in Miami Brickle, Miami World Center, and South Beach. Uh, and right Lincoln, Lincoln Road, right? Lincoln Road, Beach, yeah. yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Can right I across. book my room right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that one won't be ready in time for Art oh, Basel, but right. Miami Brickle and World Center should be. And I say should be because, of course, in the hotel world, construction world, you never know. But both are scheduled to open in November of this year. And you also opened in Rotterdam in 2013. As a city is a bit more of off the beaten path, I would say, than London, Paris, or Amsterdam. Who is your audience in Rotterdam? Yeah, so audience is the same for Citizen M, no matter where we go, right? So when you're looking at the, the business traveler who's in town for one, two, three, four days. And when I say the business traveler, I'm not talking about the guy in the, in the three-piece suit. It's also people like us. Who are, you know, if we're traveling for art or for hospitality, you're also a business traveler. And the facade has also a large mural by the Rijksakademie um, alumnus Gijs Vrieling, yeah. a winner also of the 1994 Royal Prize of Painting. How did you discover Gijs and yeah. how was it working with him? Yeah, so Gijs uh, we discovered actually through one of our curators who was working for the family collection, Lisbeth Willems. So I she, love Lisbeth, yeah, she's so great. She, she's fantastic, yeah. So she recommended Gijs, so then we met with Gijs, we looked at the at the drawings of the hotel, we, looked, we walked through the construction site and then when we... We said we should have a little bit of a, of a nautical theme, right? Because we're in the outer half, uh, even with the styling inside the hotel, we're going to play a little bit uh, tongue-in-cheek towards nautical. And then he started developing uh, different options for the artwork. And one really stood out, which is the one that's hanging now uh, on the facade. Speaking of Rotterdam, uh, Citizen M is one of the partner hotels for Art Rotterdam, which is taking place, I think, about a week from, from the time we're sitting here. Yeah. Uh, what does this partnership look like? Yeah. So we actually were the head sponsor for the last five years of Art Rotterdam. We're still a hotel partner, but in the times that we were the head uh, sponsor, we of course would uh, have the room completely blocked for all guests and all ex exhibitors for Art Rotterdam. And we'd also have the opportunity to activate a, a kind of space within Art Rotterdam. So we did the Citizen M Cinema. Uh, last year we sponsored the, the Art Rotterdam projections, which is more the digital side of things. We had the whole entrance designed. Uh, in a new way. And of course, it allows us to get X amount of tickets to be able to send to our community. So free, free passes to our Rotterdam. So it was a really, yeah, I would say marriage made in heaven. I'm very curious also about the collection up here in, in, in the Netherlands. Any other Dutch artists we can find within your hotels? Oh, Dutch artists. I know a lot of the artists, I'm not sure about their... Well, we have Mark Bijl, of course. We have Rafael Rosendahl in, uh, in the hotel. Elsbeth Diedrichs we've worked with on our uh, actually big commission on the outside of our Zaitas hotel. She's amazing. Yeah, yeah. we Dutch work with based. Jen Lu. She's on the uh, big, uh, we have a big artwork in our Amstel hotel and she's done a huge commission for us in our New York Times Square hotel. Do you have like a specific artwork which is your favorite? So many amazing artworks. I mean, one of the one that sticks out I think is uh, Studio Drift. We have an installation of Studio Drift in our Tower of London hotel, which is the first time where they did an outdoor sculpture. So it's actually the kind of the jellyfish lamps which go up and down, which you also see yeah. in the Stedelijk. But it's an outdoor installation in our atrium. So that's, that's, that was a very challenging project. 
and we're still making sure that it's working efficiently. Of course, we have weather conditions, of course, sometimes. As you know, in London, the weather is not as nice as in Miami. So, uh, but that one stands out for sure. Yeah, I really love Studio Drift. I yeah. actually um, I went to one of their, I would say, a concert at the Carré. At the Carré actually, yeah. la last week, it was amazing with the harpist. And it was amazing, yeah. Yeah. In 2014, the most prominent important location for street art in New York was Five Points in Long Island. And it was painted over. Horrible. The artists famously sued and were awarded about $6.8 million comp compensation and appeals dragged on until October 2020, when the artist's victory was finalized by the Supreme Court. Less well known is the role also of, also of Citizen M has played and given the artist a new permanent home on the Bowery. Could you tell us a little bit about the project? Yeah, sure. So five points. Yeah, if you're if you're from New York, I usually live in New York, but if you're from New York or live in the vicinity of New York, everyone knew Five Points. Five Points wasn't just a place for, you know, street art. It was actually a cultural hub. People would go there on the weekends to admire the art. They would go there for there was music, there was you know break dancing, beatboxing, there was food. It was an amazing place for almost 11 years. Five Points existed. It was an abandoned warehouse facility in Long Island, uh, Long Island City. But a lot of people didn't know that the space was fully curated. People thought people were just going there and painting, but it was fully curated. So an artist called Miris One and his partner Marie, a French woman, they curated this space. So I'd read about, of course, what was happening in the news, that this developer had bought it and that he whitewashed the whole thing. And I said, I need to meet these, uh, these curators. You know, I didn't know. I just wanted to meet them. So through one of our development partners, uh, he, had a, he had a connection with them. So I met them in our Times Square Hotel in New York. And we're supposed to be a half an hour meeting. We ended up chatting for four hours. And uh, we just became like good friends right away. So Magic happened. Sweet people. And I said, I'd love to do something with you guys. I want to give you something back. We're busy with a new hotel on the Bowery, but I only have one wall on the outside. And you know, so we started thinking. And then I said, why can't we actually use a space that we, that's not really usually guest facing? So we have, a, we have a stairwell, the emergency stairwell, which goes up 20 flights of stairs, which of course is never used, only in case of emergency. So I said, why don't we repurpose that and let's bring back, you know, a bit of five points. So this is how we devised the plan. It was two and a half years of planning. We worked with 20 of the original artists who also worked at five points. And we came up with a, an, a, basically an exhibition about the, the places of the Bowery, the faces of the Bowery and famous quotes from the Bowery. So almost like a history lesson also of the neighborhood. And uh, we launched the Museum of Street Art. So that's what it's called. So it's, it's done by Five Points Creates. Miris One and Marie curated it, and uh, it's free to the public. So that's been really great, and we've worked with uh, Marie and, and Miris also in our Boston hotel, and hopefully we'll work with them in the future. They've become good friends. Whether one sees it as shrewd marketing or, or corporate philanthropy or social responsibility, and, and maybe it can be both, there's more and more art in hotels, and hotels are trying to figure out how to do it. Rubia told me about artist residencies at Hotel d'Europe, Maybe not exactly the same segment as Citizen M, but, but very much in the same spirit. What, what else are you guys cooking up in terms of actual engagement with artists outside just putting art on the wall or commissioning yeah, sure. work for the building? It's funny, right? Because I think even if you go back you know, 20, 30, 40 years, if you look at hospitality and not only hotels, so Ian Schrager, of course, he's the founder of the boutique hotel. Before he was in the hotel business, he was in night, nightlife, right? He was the owner and founder of Studio 54. But he had another nightclub before Studio 54. And there, uh, I was reading up that he had all the back walls of the bars painted by artists. And he had two artists who he worked with. It was Keith Herring and uh, Basquiat. Could so imagine worse. this nightclub 
and behind the bar was Basquiat, full wall commission. You can't even imagine it today. So I think we as citizens and we're always looking to push the boundaries. So we've evolved. So when we opened Schiphol, we had the facade art and we had a few pieces in the lobby. Where are we now? We have always commissions on the outside, commissions on the inside. We've started putting art in the rooms, also commissioned. We've started uh, activating art digitally. We've started buying you know, specific art for certain hotels. We're adding commissions not only on walls, but also on ceilings. We're discussing now how can we do art and in, 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 you know, we did our first museum. So it keeps on evolving. And one of the things I'm very curious about is that you've been asked a lot about your father, but how about the influence of your mother? What is her, her perspective on the world? You Yeah, so my, I have an Indian father and I have a Dutch mother. So my Dutch mother, of course, has kept us all very grounded, you know, so, uh, so that's always very good. And I have, an, of course, an American education, as you can hear from my accent. So I was always, as a kid, you know, kind of not trapped, but, you know, I was between three different cultures, right? So I was listening, listening to three different types of music, right? Dutch music, Hindi music, there was, you know, American music, three different types of food. I was playing three different kinds of sports. I was playing cricket, I was playing baseball, I was playing hockey. So I was always, that's the way I grew up. So I would say the, in regards to art, there's nothing specific that comes to mind that my, that my mother has. I mean, she was always, of course, you know, telling us to, you know, be culturally, I would say, curious, right? So whenever we were, we'd travel, we'd always go and do something cultural and see, you know, a museum. And I remember going to Louvre, for example, with my mother and seeing the Mona Lisa for the first time. So, but that's a little bit how I grew up. I grew up with a very kind of open-minded, very broad spectrum of the world because I had all these different cultures coming at me all the time. But did you, I would say, play these different kind of sports because you felt responsible to do so? Or was it more really your interest in these different was, kind of... Yeah, I was trying to find out what I liked, right? So at the end, I ended up trying all the sports out and I ended up uh, settling on, I love tennis, I love baseball, I love basketball. Now, I've, I, you know, team sports are more difficult to play, so I play golf, but so I, I did that. Do you remember the very first work of art you bought? I do, yeah. I bought two pieces from Ren Hung, who's since uh, passed, but uh, I actually bought them at Unseen in Amsterdam, yeah. The photography fair. Photography fair, yeah. So I was walking around there with Lisbeth Willems, actually, and I just ran into, it was a very small gallery. I don't remember the name of the gallery that I bought it from, but I saw these pieces. I'm like, these are amazing. Who is this? I never heard of him. And I uh, started explaining to me about the photographer, and I looked at Lisbeth, and she's like, yeah, they're very nice. I said, okay, I want, I want to take these two. And, and the most recent work? That would be Neo Matloga, which is coming in uh, September. Very lo much looking forward to that piece, yeah. Is that the last empty wall in the house? Uh, last large empty wall in the house, I would say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and why the work of Neo? I, I saw his work. My father also has a piece of his work, uh, which I saw, and I was like, "Where? who is this? I fell in love with it right away. And then I had the liberty of, of meeting uh, the artist, seeing his studio. And uh, me and my wife both love the work. We love the idea of the collage, you know? There's one piece in my father's collection, which is Marie Anthony Quinn. It's also very similar. And we just love the, the, the style, but also I always like to meet the artist. And he was a very humble, very likable guy. I really liked his attitude. And also, he was saying, yeah, that I, I paint things from, you know, everyday experience, you know, so things that I've witnessed in my childhood or things that are very, very relevant to me now. So I also like that approach. But also just the, uh, the scale of the work. And we were looking for something also big for, for a specific wall in the house. So we're very lucky. We're very happy uh, to have him part of the collection and looking forward to having the piece come to the, to the wall soon. 
And is there also perhaps a work of art you didn't buy, but afterwards you really regretted you didn't? Uh, yes, there was a piece of work in Art Rotterdam a couple of years ago by Daniel Arsham, which some people are a bit skeptical on his work, but I, he had this jacket there, which is a, this crystallized jacket, which I found super cool. I just liked it. It was a sculpture, you know, and uh, it was just, I remember it very clearly. It was this blue crystallized jacket, but it wasn't the cheapest thing, and I decided not to do it. Also, at that time, I was not living. I was still living in my apartment in Amsterdam. We didn't have the space for it. But retrospectively looking, I wish I would have bought it. A question Sean Kelly always asks on the incredible podcast, Collect Wisely. I don't know if you know it. Yeah, I do, yeah. If you had to choose one work of art to live with the rest of your life, which work would it be? Yeah. And it doesn't need to be work you own. It could be yeah, the Mona exactly. Lisa. That's what I was, that, was going to ask. <laughs> could be the Mona Lisa that you saw with your mom. It could be anything. Yeah, yeah, that's difficult. One artist does come to mind, but more from a sculpture point of view, is Anish Kapoor. Oh, wow. So I'd love to have one of his, you know, like reflective sculptures, not the discs, but like, I mean, I, I went to go see the, the Bean in Chicago. Oh, that's I incredible. Mean, unbelievable. I could look at it for hours. So that, I think that would be an artist that I would, you know. Maybe the Bean. Yeah, you maybe the, the, the I would like to have the Bean in my backyard. No, I don't think it would <laughs> fit, but yeah, I think Anish Kapoor. So some of the things that some of the, um, the art scene are missing here is the real blue chip galleries. I think part of the charm of Amsterdam that it doesn't have any blue chip galleries, but uh, yeah, if you look at London, of course, I think it has to do with the clientele as well, right? So I mean, London, of course, has all the blue chip galleries are there. Uh, same with New York, because of course you have a much larger pool of people who are who are art lovers. Amsterdam, that you know, related to that, is quite a small city. It's not even a million people living here. If you take the outskirts, maybe it's a million and a half. Out of the million and a half, how many are actually actively looking at art? Out of those who are actually looking at high priced art, so. I understand why they're not here for now. I do think it's going to change. But are there particular cultural venues in Amsterdam you're really keen on visiting, perhaps even post-pandemic times? Well, always the, I mean, I love going to Stedelijk, whatever exhibitions they have going on, any individual shows that are going on. I'm on a lot of mailing lists, so that's quite nice to always be invited. But of course, it always I have quite a busy schedule, so I can always go. But also even outside of Amsterdam, right? Museum Forlinde in Vassena, which is... Uh, Unbelievable, which is actually in the street where I grew up. I live on that same street, the Buurtweg, really? in Vassenaar. Yeah, and now they built this amazing museum there. So there's lots of hidden secrets uh, across Holland, right? So uh, Ro Robin Roda, I have to say, Robin Roda has a show at Forland at the moment that you absolutely have yeah, to see. Yeah, we're thinking about maybe going tomorrow, because then seeing my mom as well, because she lives in Vassenaar. And you also talked about some hidden gems in, in the Netherlands. Some other, I would say, unknown spaces in Amsterdam people really should know about. My favorite place in the city is always the, the Negestraakjes, right? The nine streets, because I always find something there. Every time I go there, something new that pops up, you know? And of course, back in the day, it used to be much more art-inspired. Now it's a little bit more mainstream, more fashion, uh, but also food and beverage. But I always like walking around there and getting inspired. Sure. One thing we do on, on the podcast is visit people's favorite places yeah. with them. And Ruby has a very special button on her microphone for this purpose that can teleport us straight to the Neegestraatjes. Oh, great. And then we'll come back here after. Uh, do you want to come with? Sure, let's go. So uh, we are in the Neegestraatjes, which is translated the nine streets in Amsterdam, right in the center. Uh, actually the older part of the, of the city center. And uh, I used to live very close by here. And uh, I loved always wandering these nine streets because I always found some new inspiration. All, every time I came here, I found something new that had opened up. And it also gave me a little bit of a nostalgic feeling because of course I moved from New York City 
to Amsterdam, and this reminded me a little bit of wandering Soho on the weekends, or you know, the village, and little galleries, little shops, little places to get coffee. So that's the reason why I used to always, on the weekend, just walk around here, and uh, since then it's become my favorite spot in the city. Yeah, and also it's actually World Heritage we're walking around. And uh, in a sense, for a lot of tourists, they always say this is a place you feel like walking around in a movie decorum. <laughs> it's very picturesque with all the all the bridges and the canals, and of course, a lot of there's a lot of action here as well because you know there's you have to be a bit careful walking through here because there's you know a lot of bikes and tourists who are lost and uh, or uh, or a bit um, say inebriated, <laughs> so to say. But uh, it's always great walking around here because. You always see something new. Even just now walking over here, I saw this new, I don't know what it is, little shop or place with kind of an American, looks like an old cafeteria with root beer floats. And hey, this one, I've never, I've, never, I've never seen this before. Next door to this, maybe just the signage. I thought it was quite funny. So this is my neighborhood too. Uh, one thing to point out already is my favorite bookstore, Santippe, just oh, yeah. across yeah. the bridge here. It used to be a feminist bookstore in the 70s. Um, and then it was bought by the current owners, I think in the late 90s, and they made the radical decision to start selling books by men as well. Okay. Uh, so now it's called Santippe Unlimited, but it still has a very good feminist selection. Okay. Mostly in Dutch, but they do have some good English shelves. Okay. So that's where I get all my books. Yeah. Um, and my favorite bookstore used to be on this street. Right here, right? Uh, a little no, further down now, yeah. Mendo. Mendo, yeah. I'm so sad they left the neighborhood. Me too, yeah. Yeah, but so I really love the new place, though, in the Hotel de Lourdes. The Lourdes. new place is amazing, yeah. <gasps> but of course, here they have much more tra had, had much more traffic. And it's now uh, filling pieces right over here. But Mendo, uh, what I loved about that shop, uh, because they, the first time I saw Mendo, which was like 20 years ago, this was, it was all very dark from inside, very black. And they had, uh, it was kind of also kind of a photography gallery and had a few books. And then later on, they also redesigned the store with concrete, as again, the Citizen M connection. And, uh, and of course, I used to, every time, I, mean, I could never walk down the street and not go into Mendo. So speaking of art books, we're actually standing in front of Bookie Wookie, which is the oldest still operational artist bookstore in the world. Started in 1986 at a different location. And um, all, yeah, all the books in here were made by artists. So it's not art books, it's not catalogs of shows, but they're artist books. Yeah. Uh, and it's really Dieter Roth is, was a close friend of the, the owner, Jan Vos who's a very knowledgeable, incredibly amazing, um, slightly grumpy sometimes old German man <laughs> with a deep connection to the Icelandic art scene for some reason. Yeah, you see the Icelandic sheep up there. Ah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, he, he did a lot of projects sort of between Amsterdam and Iceland. So this, this is the one shop I send everyone to yeah. if they're coming into from. This, actually, this street's quite funny because this shop used to be this amazing shop which sold, sold anything which had to do with dental care. You remember? Dental care. Yeah, no, was, I don't remember. It was everything with, uh, had every kind of toothbrush, every kind of toothpaste, uh, you can imagine, any kind of toothpick. And I, I remember I always looked at that shop and I was amazed, like, how could a shop like this exist? I mean, how much business can they do selling toothbrushes? And I had to actually get an electric toothbrush one time. So I came to the shop and there was a line in front. Everyone was buying things because they had, I think, about 100 different types of toothpaste, including all the ones you, that are not available here. So Arm & Hammer baking soda toothpaste from America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but now it's become a French fry place. <laughs> but, but, but a really, really, really good French fry place. Yeah, that's yeah, true. More like yeah, I haven't tried it, uh, I guess, but uh, I've heard of it. Well, here's Screaming Beans. This is a great coffee place. So let's get coffee a, at Screaming Beans. Yeah, yeah you want to get a little coffee at Screaming Beans? 
Well, one of my favorite stores actually is right over there, across the street. Let's go. It's Skins. Skins Cosmetics, yeah. Oh, really? I'm quite a sucker for, uh, for fragrance, hey. always been. But Skins, I think this was one of the original stores, uh, always carried, you know, off the beaten track kind of fragrances. So you're not having your Hugo Boss and your Calvin Klein's, but you have Frederick Ma, you have uh, Creed, you have Byredo, you have all these different, uh, more independent perfumers. And it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing, amazing selection. And they also operate the Diptyque flagship on the corner. They here. probably also operate yeah. the Diptyque flagship on the corner. I think they were also the, one of the first to carry Diptyque. So it's candles, it's fragrance. Of course, they have uh, skin uh, as well. But again, it's one of those stores that you can get lost in. Like Mendo, you walk in and then you can keep on smelling things and you can just be in there for an hour uh, if you're into that kind of stuff. But uh, you've got your company is still outside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have another very nice brand actually. I think it's around the corner here. It's called Crafted Society. Yeah, so the, the Crafted Society story is, is um, about also giving recognition to the artisans who craft, who make, you know, these garments, who make shoes, who make scarves. So what's very nice is he's producing in the same uh, factories in Italy where all the luxury uh, houses are uh, producing, mm -hmm. but he is being very transparent about his pricing. So he's not putting a markup on it, you know, of a couple of hundred percent. So the, the pricing is fair. And he gives uh, on every hang tag, you see exactly who made that shoe. Inside the shoe is also a small, the, the name of the family or the guy who actually made the shoe. I like so that. It's really, really nice. And now he also has small leather goods. He started, he started doing shawls, but he became um, popular with his sneakers. And he's now also started, I think it's the, one of the first, it's a subscription. So you pay X amount of money uh, every month, and then you always get every, I think every three months you get a new pair of sneakers sent to you. Oh, here is multiple Madei. She just started in times of her own in her own gallery, oh, really? which has become quite a success because she only s sells multiples. Okay. So it's for us for more like but local but buyers. More, but a bit more sort of experimental alternative than, than Avant Arte, for example. But she re represents really good artists like Jitske Scholz and Iris Kensmeel. So she's Multiple Made, I like the name. Yeah. yeah. Because her name is Made. Made, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is actually. It's to, uh, ex next, next door here. Which one? Frozen Fountain? Yeah. yeah, one of my favorites. That's a great shop, yeah. So what is Frozen Fountain? Frozen Fountain is, a, again, interior store, but they have, hey, here we go, yeah. They have a mix of uh, all different designers, from Vitra to small independent to, well, here you see some, you know, little, you know, the porcelain items, cutlery, big, large pieces of furniture, lamps, and two, carpets. two, three floors, yeah. right? It's two, three floors, and I think it spans over you know, quite a few uh, different buildings. And it's also been here for a long, long time. Since since I moved to Amsterdam, it's been here. I really no, like it's, those. It's a beautiful store. Those Dirk from the Koi tables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Very nice. Also, do uh, sell a lot of art here. They as have well. a lot of art yeah. uh, objects and art sculpture as well. And this place, I can't believe it's still here. It's also quite a nice shop. It's only posters and postcards. And it's a massive store. Any kind of postcard you want, you can buy here, it's including uh, postcards from different artists. I'm not sure if you've ever been in here before. I've never been in here, no. Yes, I have a lot of vintage postcards and posters, and it's really quite a nice, uh, quite a nice shop. I'm more like a Helmut Newton kind of poster fan. Yeah. So this is the Keizersgracht 410? 510, 510. 510, yes. So this is, uh, this is where I used to live. Oh. This is 558. 
I used to this live is on, where it all went down. This is where it all went down. I used to live on the, on the top floor. What is really typical about Amsterdam, about living here in the canals? What is really typical in the way of life? It's a very good question, actually. It's a combination of all these different things, you know? So, first of all, the view that you get gives you kind of serenity and peace right away. Also, I, I mean, in my experience, I always ran into somebody I knew. So it's like, it's, it feels like a large city, but also it uh, behaves like a little village. Every time I went somewhere, I would meet someone that I knew. And that's the charm of Amsterdam, right? Because you're, you have all the benefits of a large city, but you also have all the benefits of like a little community. On that note, I think we've made a full circle. Uh, I think we can teleport back to your home office for okay, the rest of our back. conversation. Yeah. Thank you for thank being you guys. our tour guide. Yes, <laughs> thank you for joining us and uh, thank you for guiding us yeah, sure. well through the city. So could you name an artist living and working in the city who people might not know? Yeah, this is a tough one. I think Jacqueline de Jong, she's an amazing artist. Pretty well known actually in Amsterdam, but not very well known outside, I think. I was speaking to Henry about it earlier as well. And yeah, if you just if you check out her work, it's really amazing. And we have a few of her pieces in the in, in my father's collection. And we actually just loaned quite an important piece back to her, which is on display at the moment. I think it's in Brussels at, at an exhibition there. I think she's an amazing artist. So if you don't know her, you should definitely have a, have a look. And what's your favorite place to eat in Amsterdam? That's such a difficult one. Can you give me you can, a, you a can You can give several. You can give several. And... Okay, so for Indian food, definitely hands down Mayur. Court of Lights at Varstraat, best Indian restaurant in Amsterdam. I have been looking for that, actually. Yeah. I will... Very good friend of mine. Uh, he runs it. It's fantastic. It was founded by his father. It's been there for, you know, decades, and it's really phenomenal. Let's go to Asian. I would say it's probably going to be Izakaya because I just love the, the... The scene is nice, but the food is excellent. Italian Toscanini. Been there many, many times. I love the simplicity of it, but the food is always good. Never order on the menu. Always order the specials. Uh, and always talk to the chefs if you have a chance, because there's a lot of fun. And another restaurant which I really, really like, actually, which is quite special, is for special occasions, is the Duchess, which is in the W Hotel. Really phenomenal. They got a Michelin star, uh, I think not by, by choice, but they got they received a Michelin star, but it's really, really special food. It's really yeah, for a special night Yeah, and decorum is... Yeah. And if you want to get cheap, simple, fast takeaway? There's one, I mean, I like Indonesian food, right? So there's this Toko, I don't know the name of it, unfortunately, but it's on the, um, what's the name of the street? It's on the street that leads to the Museum Plain, and that's phenomenal. It's very good value for money. You can get a whole kind of rice table thing. I think it's 18 euros, and you can have, you know, three meats, two vegetables, this and this. That's great for takeaway. And then, of course, yeah. Uber Eats, Deliveroo, I mean, get whatever you want. <laughs> well, not everything on there is something... Uh... Not everything on there is. I've, so, I've been disappointed many times. I have two more questions. Uh, sure. Also in regards to your fashion background, are there any tailors in Amsterdam you're really keen on? Oh, tailors. I think one of the best places to go and to buy if you want to have Italian menswear is Auger, for sure, hands down. They have every brand, from Brunello Cuccinelli, Laura Piana... Emmanuel Mafais, Frey, they have an amazing collection. Sometimes it's a bit scary to walk in there, of course, because the, the, the guys who work there are you know, like vultures. And they'll, you want to just buy a shirt, you walk out with three suits. But they have really amazing, actually, service. They have amazing collection. So that's usually where I would go if I want to get, uh, even for casual wear, they have amazing denims. Uh, they have uh, great shoes, you know. So it's, it's kind of a one-stop shop if you like that kind of aesthetic. 
it's not street, but then if you want to go for more for streetwear, yeah, there's lots of, of course, independent, smaller uh, brands and boutiques around. I used to always shop at a, at a place called Didato, which is not there anymore. I think it's now moved a location. I think it's in the Faisalstraat now. One, one question we ask all of our guests, and it's kind of a lazy question, so we don't have to think about our next season. <laughs> uh, who should we absolutely interview yeah. for our next So I had a season? question about that question. Is that somebody who is a collector? Is that somebody who can be... Cause it could, could be anyone could be who an has artist? something to do with the art world in yeah. Amsterdam. So it could definitely be artists. Uh, we've, we've already spoken to Remy Jungerman and yeah. we've got other artists on our list. Could be a collector. Um, could or a be... chef or a designer. Hmm. Yeah, anyone who you think has an interesting perspective on... on yeah, the, sure. Um, and, and ideally speaks English. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah, yeah. No, so I mean, the, uh, from an artist's point of view, I, I mean, and you, you've already mentioned him, as Ralph Nauta from Studio Drift or Lonica. Maybe Ralph and Lonica together or maybe, yeah. Thank you for yeah. receiving us, for having us in your home. Thank you for going to the Neigstraatjes with us through our teleportation device. You're welcome. Thank you for sharing your insight, your many restaurant tips. And, and thank you also on behalf of the Amsterdam Art World for deciding to live here and not somewhere else, because I think you're adding, you're adding something to the scene and to the texture. And especially for also supporting the arts in yeah, your own sure. way. That's I think that's something important. we find yeah. very important. And we see you in Miami in December, Definitely. if not before. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please consider subscribing to our podcast. We thank the Jazz Orchestra of the Concertgebouw in Amsterdam for our podcast tune, Blues for the Date by Peter Bates. Please check out the rest of their amazing album, Blues for the Date, on Spotify. Art City Amsterdam is produced by Studio Balsam and Stevenson. We are your hosts, Joost Bosland and Rubia Balsam. See you in Amsterdam.